Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 68 of Confessions of a Market Maker. I'm your co-host, Ray, a.k.a. All Day Ray, a.k.a. Wally Balls. And I'm joined here by my benevolent co-host, former market maker, 20 years on current day retail trader, a man who's been on more government agency lists than El Chapo, the man who taught you how to think. The man who taught you how to think. I'm talking about JJ. JJ, how's it going? Good, brother. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good and excited for our guest today. He is the 2020 U.S. investing champion, a man who smoked the field with a 941% annualized return, shattering previous records, son of a former market maker, founder of Kel Capital LLC, and author of Victory in Stock Trading. Of course, I'm talking about Oliver Kell. Oliver, how's it going, man? Hey, thanks for the intro, Ray. I appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely, man. No, man, that's oh, incredible, yeah. man. When I, was, when I was looking at the rankings, man, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, I, I, the guy in second place, maybe in the 400% return, man, you really dominated the field, man. Uh, real impressive. How, you know, compared to this year, you know, uh, how's the 2021 been for you? 2021 has been a good year. Uh, January was my best month ever, but it was kind of like January was kind of, in my opinion, kind of the blow off to that November, December move at the end of the year. Um, right. And then, I mean, you know, I had a choppy couple months there, uh, February, March, was able to kind of get some stuff going in April, but, you know, it was still a little bit sluggish, I think, because we kind of rallied up and and things weren't quite ready to push out to new highs. Um, but the last, I mean, you know, a couple of weeks, the market has really, really felt <laughs> great. I've uh, been finding tons of opportunities. And, uh, you know, normally kind of a typical year for me is I get, I get like a nice run from November through January-ish or something, a light February, March. And then I get another nice run here um and then kind of get that 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 run at the end of the year you know bottom out in october or something like that so i'm trying to kind of get my second kind of movement to the account right now and should set me up nicely for a year-end run um but you know i'm trying to milk milk this for everything we've got as long as it lasts right now mm -hmm. yeah absolutely man so uh 2020 that was your uh, best year you've ever had yeah, yeah, that's my best year. Yeah, yeah. No, incredible, man. Uh, you know, so so far what we've seen in 2021, well, what's been the differences you think from like last year to the market this year? Sure. So, I mean, I trade a lot of the kind of high beta, you know, I don't know what people call them, but the secular growth names, you know, th those are the types of names that I'm trading, mm -hmm. which were, you know, in reality, a lot of those had some pretty, I, I, I'm hesitant to say severe, but they had some big corrections um, in the sense that they just got so extended on the monthly charts, monthly and weekly charts. And to me, they kind of had a natural correction. You know, I'm talking names like Roku, stuff like that. And I think they're starting to kind of punch out of those patterns, you know, on the weekly or monthly. Mm -hmm. And they just needed, you know, they needed six, seven, eight months to kind of consolidate. We saw the quote unquote, uh, you know, inflation trade take over, which, you know, I kind of took some trades in some of those names, but, you know, I, they're not really my sweet spot. So I, I kind of get in and get out and, and just kind of wait for the, 
names I like to trade to set up again. Um, and that's kind of what's happened. I mean, we had a bunch of breakouts here today and, and, you know, even more names. So I, I'm not seeing any reason why this can't continue at least, you know, in the, in the near term future and just kind of take it day by day. But that's kind of the, the, this year, I think a lot of the, you know, names I trade have more or less been consolidating and they've had a couple months to do that. And, and I'm hoping they can kind of get going again here. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And just a reminder to the listeners, if you'd like to join JJ, myself and support of community traders, join us at microefutures.com. Oliver, uh, your father was a market maker on the Pacific Exchange. Was uh, financial markets always something you knew that you were going to be a part of? I didn't. I mean, so they would, they, the market would close at one o'clock on the West Coast. So if we had a half day at school or something, we would always go into the floor. And, and I, you know, I love the environment. You kind of get to see the camaraderie, you know, back then it was a much different environment than the floor today where it's kind of empty. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, super active people all over the place, kind of like, you know, if you played sports or something, maybe a locker room type feel. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't have a ton of interest in the markets. You know, I kind of saw the ups and downs of, of what it was like to be a trader. You know, my dad traded all his own money. So, you know, when things aren't going well, uh, everybody's kind of feeling it. Um, But in reality, kind of, I played football in college. And once I finished playing, it was like my senior year. What the heck am I going to do with my life? And sort of unintentionally, I I just kind of started to talking to him about trading. One of my good buddies from college was a prop trader at First New York Securities and just kind of started talking to him about it and I just sort of fell into it um and that was you know that was my first job out of college and you know that's when the journey began (laughs) I uh I I listened to another podcast that you were on and I heard you describe that job when you first came out of college um as like a modern day bucket shop (laughs) can you tell us a little bit about that well so yeah I mean and, and I'm sure they still exist it's uh you know there's people who their business model is they run you know prop trading rooms or stuff like that and you know you can put up money and it's all your risk capital and they'll give you a bunch of leverage and then they're making like a penny a share on your commissions or or something like that um so the place that I worked at they taught us to trade against big bids and offers so you know, let's say, you know, Visa was a stock we traded all the time. Uh, Visa would have like a 300,000 share bid or something. You know, we'd get long. Let's say the bid was at like 300. You'd get long at like 320 cents and Mm -hmm. you'd add more size into the bid. And if price came off it, you know, you'd scalp it for 20, 30, 40 cents maybe. And you'd do it over and over until that bid printed and you'd get out quickly and sometimes (laughs) flip the other direction. But it worked great until you missed the bid. You know, if the bid printed and you could lose kind of your whole day uh, just by missing that bid and, you know, losing a buck on, on, you know, a bunch of shares. So it was kind of a way to, in my eyes, in retrospect, you know, you traded a lot of volume. You know, you could trade a significant amount of volume as like a tiny little retail trader. But really, the only guy getting rich in the room is, is you know, the guy who owns the room. Um, so I, I did learn a lot, you know, there, as far as how the level two works, you know, refreshing buyers and sellers, all this stuff. But in reality, I don't, I don't use it all that much today. Um, you know, in, in kind of how I trade now. 
Mm-hmm. I guess markets are quite a bit quicker. I mean, so what you were basically doing was just stepping in front of size, uh, you know? Yeah. Were, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's and cool. at the time, I mean, I didn't use any charts or anything, you know, mm-hmm. we would literally find a big bidder offer and just trade it, Yeah. which in reality, if you could find a big bidder offer and it was in the, in, you know, your positioning was in, in the direction of, you know, maybe how you interpreted the daily chart or something like that. It might have been a reasonable way to trade because, you know, you could get a lot of size on with real, real, real tight stop and you knew the liquidity was there. But, you know, if you're just playing against random bids and offers, I mean, it works, but, you know, you're, you're playing for like 10, 20 cent gains. Yeah. And, you know, the way I trade now, I'm, I'm looking to catch moves. So nice. it's just, it was just a different way to, to trade. Good education. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, your father, Oliver, uh, you know, being in the industry, did, was that um, a benefit, maybe seeing some of his, you know, uh, the good times and the bad times or having him to, to talk to? You think that was a benefit to your learning curve when trading? Well, I think I had a much different perspective than a lot of people. So, you know, kind of like I said, I didn't really have a huge interest in trading because, you know, my dad, my dad had blown up before and I'd kind of seen, you know, that can be tough on, on a family. Um, whereas I think a lot of people are just thinking about the money and, and I get it, you know, everybody's going to trade, they're going to make a couple of million a year and, and make it rain. Right. That's what everybody thinks. Whereas I, you know, I thought about it a little bit differently just because I really, you know, I grew up sort of, it was the family business. So I understood, you know, it's not always rainbows and butterflies. So, um, I'd say that's probably how it helped me the most is, as far as how I trade versus my dad, I mean, my dad was, you know, a Black Scholes options market maker before computers, you know, mm-hmm. he could do math real quickly. And I think computers kind of undermined his edge a little bit. Um, and then I think when he got on the screens, you know, when he left the floor and there's no more open outcry, mm-hmm. you know, I think he struggled a little bit where I, I sort of came up in a, you know, I learned from a couple of guys on social media or whatever, who I became friends with. And I just picked up little tips and tricks. And I, I was able to kind of build a strategy in the kind of modern online trading world, which was a much different world than JJ, you probably came up in or my dad traded in. Yeah. And, you know, it's tough. It's tough when you've been doing something for 30 years to adjust. So, Definitely. You know, we just, we just don't trade the same way. Yeah. Those guys would trade by facial expressions. You know, yeah. they, they knew if Harry was scratching his ear, he was hiding an order, you know, like, you know, some guy coughs three times, you know, that he's, you know, he's got size behind him. You know, the, you can see that <laughs> on people's faces, right? Cause I was a phone trader, right? I came up right when they were closing the floors. So yeah. everything was phone. So if you wanted to hit six bids, you had to get like, you know, six phones going at the same time, you know? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah talk yeah. to all the different brokers. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, definitely learned a lot from him, but more kind of uh, probably things less related to strategy and more just, you know, when you've had good days, kind of act like you've been there before. You know, when when you have bad days, just that's part of the game, and and you gotta, yeah. you, you know, you gotta shake it off, get it back. That's really the type of stuff I learned from him, more the mentality type stuff. Sorry, man. That's arguably uh, maybe more important, honestly, you know, like, like uh, learning that, you know, like uh, just the reality of it, right. Like not the glitz and the glamour. 
I think all the technical stuff, like that stuff can be learned. I think maybe sometimes the mental aspect might be, you know, I guess it depends on the person as well. But, um, you know, Oliver, how how long did it take you to settle in and develop your own style of trading? Because I know like you know, a lot of people in the new, you bounce around, you try different things. How long did it take you to settle into your strategies? So it took me probably around six years or so to like start like, well, hold on. I mean, when I started out in the prop shop, I didn't really make any money. Then I went and I worked at a, you know, a hedge fund slash a legit prop trading firm. And we did international arbitrage and I didn't make any money doing the international arb. But I did kind of start trading U.S. equities, swing trading, charts, things like that. And I was making some money doing that. Um, unfortunately, that that fund went out of business and I, you know, I kind of lost my job. Um, so then I became an institutional execution trader. So I traded for, you know, huge funds. And then I traded my own accounts on the side there. And I, and I did very, very well, actually. My issue was, is I would go on huge runs and I'd give money back and I would make, I would make, I'd make progress, but just I wasn't going to massively grow my accounts if I was given as much money back as I was at the time. Um, so it's more that I've, I've refined and kind of learned how to better apply my strategy just with time. Um, and I would say after, you know, six, maybe seven or so years, you know, I feel like I can consistently apply my strategy, you know, better sit out bad markets be aggressive in good markets. Um, I feel like when the market's good, I'm, I'm pretty tough to compete with. And then my weakness is just sitting out the bad markets, um, which really a lot of that is, is just patience, kind of understanding, you know, now's not the time to put the pedal to the metal. Um, and I, you know, I think you kind of get more comfortable just not doing anything, you know, the longer you trade. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think that's the thing for me too, is I uh, like, you know, I'm a great, I think it comes to like playing poker. I played football as well. I just have that aggressive instinct. I want to like go for it, but yeah, there's certain times, Hey, no, no, there's just nothing to do. And, you know, he's going to lose your money. Um, you say your strategy, your strategy is based on uh, the uh, can slim method. Uh, this is something I'm not really aware of. Can you tell us uh, about what this method is? Sure. So, I mean, my strategy, you know, my strategy, I definitely created myself, but it's loosely based on the Canslim method, which uh, so William O'Neill founded Investors Business Daily, and he wrote this book, How to Make Money in Stocks. Um, and the name of his strategy is the Canslim method. So, you know, let me see if I can remember the idea behind the, the can and the slim. I think it's, you know, current market in that, you know, 75% of a stock's movement is based on the market. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's like annual earnings and sales growth, you know, a new product. So I'm generally tr- trading like new hot products. Um, I'm generally not buying like GE or something like that. However, Ford and stuff like that's kind of kind of been back in, in favor lately. Um, but, you know, generally I'm trading those kind of new hot companies, the Zooms, the Rokus, the Pelotons, the, you know, Future, stuff like that. Um and then the slim, what is the slim? Let's see, sales supply? must be. Supply and demand? No, it's, oh, uh, oh. Hold on. Oh, is that the other I should ones? know this better. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but really is what I did is they used more of the 50 period moving average, the 10 week and the 40 week moving averages. 
And I kind of sped that up and I use the 10 and the 20 week EMA. I, I keep the 50 period moving average on my charts. Um, and then I'm really looking for chart patterns. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a trader whose strategy is just kind of based off watching the markets and picking up little tricks and little candle patterns and, you know, try to make more than I risk over and over. That's, that's really what I'm doing. You know, I'm, I'm more of a swing trader, whereas, you know, can slim can be probably interpreted more as a little bit position trading. Um, but the whole idea is I'm trading growth stocks with big earnings, big sales. So, you know, kind of the rule, that whole book, really all it is is a study of the best winners of all time and what their characteristics are. And it's, you know, 25% minimum earnings and sales, 17% minimum ROE, stocks that are making new highs. Um, those are the types of situations that I'm generally playing in. Um, you know, like my biggest positions right now are CrowdStrike and Cloudflare, uh, Net and CRWD, which to me, they both kind of fit that, that profile, right? One of them's, you know, Cloud Edge, mm -hmm. you know, protecting the edge of your network. One's Cloud Security, something that's kind of very in, in the now right here. Um, they kind of broke out of weekly charts, maybe you know, what, three to six weeks ago or so. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. On their highs, big earnings, big sales. And with my approach, I was able to get them long, you know, before they really broke out. I was able to kind of get them off the lows of their weekly basis, you know, when they kind of came back above the 10 and 20 period moving averages on the daily chart. Um, so that's, I think I've kind of taken what they do and I've just sort of refined it just kind of based on trial and error and, and learning things from different guys over the years. Right, right. Awesome. I, I heard you mention, you know, you mentioned um, a few of the movement averages that you use. Are there any other technical indicators or you just, you just stick with those? Yeah, I just use moving averages and, and I'm, volume for me is, 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 I mean, I could trade without the moving averages easily. Mm -hmm. uh, volume is, is huge for me. I like to find situations where there's huge, huge, huge volume. And, you know, then I look for a spot to hop on board. Um, like, for example, I bought this stock yesterday on the open, Triple uh, D. It's like a 3D printer stock. Oh, yeah, that one. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I got this. Yeah, I, I hit these pretty hard at the beginning of the year. And I, so I, I got it yesterday real nicely. And you can kind of see it traded up with just massive volume. If you look at your daily chart. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, it traded about 41 million shares. And, you know, it's usually doing about three to four million. So kind of 10x volume. And so I am holding this, but if I wasn't in this right now, I would, I would still be looking to get long this stock. You know, let's say it puts in another day or two of a flag or something. Then it, then it does what I call reconfirms. It kind of breaks out of this little basing pattern it's got going on again. And you can kind of get long the stock with a tight stop. So I love volume. Like it's, it's one of the main things that I, I don't really scan. I more just kind of go through a lot of charts and look at them. But if I did scan, I love to scan for big volume. Yeah. Um, so that's probably one of the biggest technical indicators I use. Yeah, yeah we were, that's probably we it, right? I mean, sorry. Go ahead. no, no, sorry, Jay. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna throw it over to you because I know, like, that's, I mean, that's everything, right? Volume. Oh yeah, you know when when they're coming for it, right? When, like when we used to say when the ducks are quacking, right? Yeah. 
you know, feed them. And I, we were just looking at this triple D yeah, we were, yeah. and uh, you know, I was like, yeah, if it holds 29 and then 32, she's going to, you know, maybe tickle that 39 and we got close today. Yeah. I mean, I think right here it's, it's going to base a couple. I mean, really, I, I'm not going to do anything with it unless it rests for at least one more day, but then I think it'll take out that 3850 again. You know, I think this thing will probably head back towards like $50 or something like that. Yeah, um, that's what I'm thinking. That's how I'm playing it. I mean, I'm holding it. I took a little off because, you know, I like to, you know, put some money in the bank. Um, Always but good. then if it sets up again, I'll start like a second position. And that's kind of how I build my positions. You know, I, I take a position, I put some money in the bank. And then if it sets up again, I'll, 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 I'll put more on and I'll book that and I'll kind of grow my position while I'm booking profits, you know? Yeah. That net was a nice one too. That was a beautiful one. Now it's holding a hundred bucks. But net, yeah. Nets, nets the one, you know, net is really kind of the, it's really the name that I think net NVIDIA and crowd have been my, I kind of put my account together where, you know, like triple D is not going to be like a top three to five position for me. Right. It's a yeah. little just kind of too specky. Um, but, you know, like I call them like core names, like a NVIDIA, yeah, uh, Asan for me, ASAN's been been a core yeah. name. Uh, um, CrowdNet, you know, Tesla last year, and Tesla just broke out again today. Yeah, I got it did. Yeah. Again. But, I uh, broke you know, six thirteen. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. Hey, this thing's gonna. This thing, I think everybody's checked out on Tesla. I think it's going. I think it's going much higher. Yeah, they did. Um, they cleaned out the overhang real nice in it. Yeah, they did. And see, I look at a lot of monthly charts, whereas I feel like a lot of people don't. <laughs> and, uh, and I think it gives me a different perspective. You know, a lot of people say, hey, you know, Tesla's been weak. It's uh, why are you buying that garbage off the lows? There's stronger stocks. And there are, and there are like, they're not wrong. Um, but if you look at the monthly on this Tesla, you know, this thing is just put in a, uh, you know, five to six month full pennant and we take out that 710 level last month's high you know i think you can see this thing at 900 bucks pretty quickly yep uh, and there was some nice short covering today in it too was there yeah see i don't even uh i'm 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 totally checked out i'm just looking at the volume we had good volume today we cleared a level and uh clearly people are buying this thing whether whether it's shorts or or new people getting long, you know, I'm not really sure. Um, but you could, you know, you could see the flow. It closed on the high of the day. Mm -hmm. It really didn't give anything back all day long. Um, so that's the exact type of action you want to see. You know, I think we're definitely going to get some follow through here. And, you know, we'll kind of see see how it trades the next couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And now, Oliver, you said you swing, uh, swing trade. Do, do you... Um... Do you go into the trade with uh, an idea like, hey, uh, a week time frame, a couple of days, or you kind of play it by ear? What's so I look at I look at the for example, I mean Tesla's got a big monthly base, right? So it's it's something where when I put the trade on, you know, I think this thing could work for you know multiple weeks. Now I will take situations where you know maybe I'm buying a bull flag on the daily chart. You know, it's like a three to four day pattern. And I'm buying it because maybe we're a little later in the cycle, which, you know, you could interpret us as being a little later in the cycle right now. But I think we've got another couple of weeks left. 
and and I'll take that trade and I'll I'll sell it into strength after you know three to five days. I consider that more just like cash flow. Uh, but if I'm getting on something out of a big base, you know, big weekly, call it a five to eight week base, or you know, five to six months, even better. Um, then you know, I'm I'm generally trying to to ride that thing, especially if I see volume come in on the breakout. Because um, if we've got a big base and we break out on big volume, you know, there's kind of two lines, you know, the bigger the base, the higher in space. And then kind of one of the things that I live by is, you know, volume equals price, cause equals effect. Um, so if we've got the big base and we've got the volume, you know, we've got the cause to lead to a great effect. Um, so big pattern, big volume. I'm going to probably look to try to hold that thing for a couple of weeks. Now, now, if it doesn't show me what I need to see, if it's sluggish, if it just kind of stalls out, you know, maybe it runs for a day or two and then just kind of stalls out, you know, I'll change my mind on it. But as of today, as of right now, on something like this Tesla, like it's something I'm looking for, for to run for a couple of weeks. Um, now, I will say I was long this thing. I mean, look, I was long this thing uh, when it came out of its little pattern on uh, 412, 413. Okay. And, you know, I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking this thing's going to run and it kind of, you know, shit the bed. Yeah. Um, so so we'll see. Maybe it'll be doing that the next day or two. But it, I don't know. I got a feeling this time the sentiment on it just feels a little bit lower. Uh, it doesn't seem like that many people are paying attention to it. Um, <laughs> so we'll see, though. We'll see. Let's, let's sneak it higher. Yeah, yeah, let's get it up there, right? To do the old flea flicker, right? <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but so I always stay on, like, I'm always staying on what I consider to be the big leaders, you know? Like, one of my first mentors always said, you know, you don't leave your wingman. You know, for me, Tesla is that leadership stock, even though it's been out of favor. So I'll, I'll stay on it, and, I, you know, I won't miss it, really, if it goes. Um so I try to stay with those, those big, big leading stocks that, you know, have hundreds of millions of dollars flowing them into them. Because mm-hmm. um, I feel like I can read the price action pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can buy penny stocks, take them from like two to eight bucks in a day or something like that. Um, but I'm more looking to just compound my money. You know, if I can be making five to 20% a month or something like that, um, I know I'm going to have massive months. But, you know, I want to just kind of keep it in that range and, uh, you know, try not to have too many big setbacks. Definitely, definitely. And, and I totally agree with that, Oliver, because I, I think the way I looked at it, and I, and I developed this mindset like in poker, too, is that like the, the big days are going to come to you. You don't have to force the big days. And, and I mean, I, I think especially in trading, it's more uh, protecting yourself. Uh, you know, like we were talking about before, don't be over aggressive because the big days come, right? They seem to just they'll come to you. You don't have to go out and search for them. Yeah, totally. And, and sort of for me, like I was saying, I'll usually have like three big runs a year and I, and I trade with margin. So if I can kind of keep my account moving um, throughout the year with all the new margin I unlock by that third run, you know, if I've got my account in order with all that new capital, you know, I can really, really go on a big run at the end of the year. Um so yeah, to try to hit singles uh, and, 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 you know, the home runs kind of set themselves up and, you know, I think I had like a 
back to back like 50 or 60% months last year at some point, I can't even remember. And I, and I didn't even, I didn't do anything that I didn't do any other month. You know, I happened to just catch some good trades. So, you know, it's, it's not, it's not rocket science. It's just, you know, kind of chipping away. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that's another thing I picked up from you. Um, And, you know, I like, you know, if you could talk to it, to the listeners about simplifying uh, your process and your strategies, I, I think this is a concept that really gets lost on people. People think this needs to be a complicated endeavor when it really doesn't have to, right? No, actually, I, I literally, all I have in my charts are my, my 10 and my 20 period EMA. If price is below the EMAs, I'm usually not getting long. If price is above them, I'm not getting short. You know, the 10 EMA is kind of my, <clears throat> my stoplight, if you will. Okay. And then chart patterns. I mean, I've, I've learned to be very creative with kind of how I interpret the market or look at the market. And that just comes with time and practice. I mean, there's really no shortcut for you. You got to look at a lot of charts. You got to go through different runs um, in the market and experience is, is key. But, you know, I don't have a lot of indicators on my charts. Not that that stuff doesn't work. I'm, I'm sure it works great. It just doesn't work for me. But I, I keep it simple. I'm just looking at the price bars on a chart. Like, you know, JJ doesn't even do that. Um, so, you know, you don't need a ton of stuff, just whatever tools you are using, you know, use them consistently in a repeatable manner, um, you know, so that you can just try to trade the same setups over and over with, with whatever approach you're going to take. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and remember Jay, I, I know we, um, I forget who we were talking to today, but uh, they're like, no way, this can't be that easy. Like when they're asking about your balance zones and you're yeah. like, <laughs> you're like, it's like, like, yeah. It's like, listen, I'm an old eye gouger, man. Once you start talking differential equations and fractals and itchy and scratchy clouds, I'm lost, right? I'm taking a nap, right? You know, I see a bid, I hit it, right? That's what I was trained to do, right? Hey, that's that's how I am. (laughs) You know? And so the simpler, the better, because when I started retail trading bad, all these retail guys, they have all these tools and indicators and this and that, and I'm like, I'm looking at 20 different things. I couldn't even make a decision. I didn't know whether I was sitting or standing half of the time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes you can, the old saying, uh, what is it? Uh, paralysis by analysis. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm trading fast moving stocks. I, I want to be in the fastest movers and, you know, I got to be able to get the info I need and make a decision um, right then and there. And and that's one thing I would say to your listeners, too, is, you know, a lot of people will say to me, because I, I try to help people out on Twitter, but they'll say to me, you know, I have trouble executing or like, how did you buy the stock? It went so quick. And that's experience. But, you know, one of my favorite sayings is uh, no risk it, no biscuit. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you got to be willing to kind of get in there and, and, and see what happens. And that's just the nature of the game. You know, you, you got to be able to get in, buy the stock, be aggressive. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work and you sell out, you know, mm-hmm. but, you, but you've got to get in there. And then that's how you're going to learn is by getting involved. Absolutely. It's funny, both of you guys play football. I watched the movie Greater a couple of days ago, um, and it's the work, you know. Execution is, is, is putting in the work. It's like an offensive lineman doing the work, you know. You don't see it, but, you know, that those, those hours of executing, 
that's what it was for me because executing retail was way different than institutional, right? When you're pushing size, right? You can't bully markets around when you're a retail trader. So, you know, it's, it, it, that took a lot of uh, practice. <laughs> yeah, no, that's actually a really good point. A, a guy, you know, I'm, I'm still, what am I? I'm 35 years old. I'm a pretty young guy. So I'm, I'm fortunate. I get to learn from some, some older guys. And, you know, one of these guys will say when somebody says something like that, or, you know, how'd you know what to do when and where? And it's like, well, I, I knew my levels. I knew where the gap fills were. I, I knew what moving average it was the price I was looking for, for price to pull back to. Like I knew exactly what I was going to do the night before. Like I rehearsed everything in my head. I found my setups. And when price kind of came to me, you know, I waited for confirmation or whatever, but then all I had to do was execute. Cause like I knew where I was executing. I'd done all the work. Um, so JJ, that's a great point is a lot of the work is done before the market even opens. And then, executing is being patient and waiting for price to kind of come to you, you know, come to the right spot and then, and then just, you know, getting it done. Mm -hmm. Um, but the work is done, you know, beforehand. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, it's, it's like watching the game film, right? Mm -hmm. You, you, you watch the game field. So when you're out on the field, you're not thinking, right. You're just reacting. Like, and I equate the same way. And that's, that's why I think a lot of times JJ too, right. I think a lot of people we've talked to have been athletes, who are good exactly. trainers. Yeah. yeah, that's true, right? Yeah. That's very true because they have that discipline, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. And I think the other thing too is just like having that, that competitive spirit too. Because mm -hmm. uh, I don't know about you guys, but I, I get beat up pretty good sometimes. And, <laughs> uh, and you know, I keep firing. You know, I, I, I keep yeah. coming back and, and I've certainly created rules for myself as, you know, how, how not to revenge trade and not, not to compound my mistakes. But when I, when I kind of get beat up, you know, I want to get it back. And, and I think you've got to have that mentality, at least to be a discretionary type, type trader, because you're going to mm -hmm. go through ruts and, you know, how do you mentally handle that is, is huge. It's true. Yeah, that 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 resilient that resiliency, and I, you know, so I got like JJ, like you know, these people like in a, in a room. Sometimes we talk to them, I'm like, yo, shut up, stop whining, like, like get in there, like we all we're all gonna lose. Get back out there, right? Get back on the field, uh, like let's go, you know, like girl, I got time for that shit, but you know, well, um, it's you know, it's a softer society now, you know, you can't grab guys by the face mask and yell at them like the old coaches used to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. No, that's, that's why I got my son signed up for football this year, first year. So I'm like, no, nah, we can't. Oh, cool. We have nothing soft. Yeah, yeah, no, no, we're not doing that. But, uh, yeah, Oliver, um, do you do any short selling? Or are you strictly long? Yeah, I'll short stocks. I'm, I'm definitely, you know, much more on the long side. But this year I did short some stocks probably more than I normally do. Mm -hmm. um, often as well, I'll short the indexes. So a lot of the times, if I think stocks are going to roll over, it's usually because the market's, you know, rolling into a correction. Yeah. So I might, you know, rather than short a bunch of different stocks, you know, I may, I may just put a bigger position on short the index or I'll short stuff like Apple or Amazon, uh, more big cap type stuff. I don't, I don't mess around with, you know, <laughs> short, short and $5 billion companies, you know, <laughs> so, sure, sure. but I'll short, you know, I'll short Tesla, I'll short square kind of names that I trade a lot that, uh, you know, I, I feel like I got a pretty good feel for them. Um, 
you know, if I think we're in a corrective market too, I'll do some day trading. You know, you can get some nice big rally days in, in, in kind of downtrending markets mm-hmm. where, you know, maybe the stock gaps down 3% and it finishes the day down 1%, but all the money was made to the long side. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I'll do a little bit of that. Um, always kind of intraday. That's kind of what I do in corrections is I'll, I'll take, you know, few select shorts and you know then try to do some day trading hold a lot of cash just kind of look for what's shown relative strength that's kind of my my approach during corrections yeah yeah sure sorry so um so the uh, market narrative or maybe like an individual stock narrative does play um into your process into your trading yeah you say narrative what do you mean by that well um like uh you know uh, I've heard, you know, some of the people we've talked to, they'll they'll talk to like, you know, underlying factors that are driving uh, a market or maybe underlying factors that are driving a specific stock or like the narrative around a stock. Does, does that play into your process or are you just more just strictly technical? Um, so I'm I'm definitely like, you know, quote unquote tape reader as far as how I execute. Like I want price in the action to confirm what it is that I'm doing. With that said, I mean, I trade, uh, you know, I, I like to understand the companies that I'm trading uh, because I'll throw, you know, I'll throw 30 to 35% of my account in a name if I think it's set to move. So, you know, I don't want to get caught in some China stock or some biotech, <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I want to, I want to load into something that's real, that's got a lot of volume coming into it. And, uh, you know, if I can, if I can get six or seven stocks fully loaded that I feel good about, you know, that's, that's really my goal with each run. Um, so yeah, I mean, I like, you know, Peloton last year, I was on real early. I knew the story, you know, Tesla, I definitely believe in, uh, upstart holdings is a company I've been trading a lot lately. Uh, they basically, they, they have AI that allows, you know, uh, I guess the types of folks who might not be able to generally get a loan to, to get underwritten without a higher default rate. You know, I think it's a, a stock that could do really well. And I know the story, I know the earnings, you know, it's got triple digit earnings growth. So I'm paying attention to both. Um, and then I think that I do have a pretty good feel for the narrative. Like for whatever reason, I, I managed to somehow get on, you know, the top stocks, you know, not always, but usually a couple of them at least. And I think I've got a pretty good feel for just like what's, what, what has the potential to be a big winning stock that can really grow. Um, now I'll often find those for technical reasons, you know, maybe I spot big volume or something like that, but for me to really load into it with size and hold it, as well you know i usually am getting engrossed in that story and i'm starting to really understand you know how does this company fit into the world you know does it make sense to me um and and, you know and if it does then it's it's got potential to be to be a nice stock i i rely on people i know a lot so like my wife was big on me getting on the peloton uh, a stock that i've done really well in this year this company asan they do like work management or something i don't even know what they do but my brother my brother said hey this is an awesome product keep an eye on this stock 
you know, when they IPO'd. And so with most IPOs, I wait six months. I waited six months. I saw the stock. I said, oh, my brother likes this company. And I, and I waited for a setup and I got long it. Um, so, you know, those are, yeah, <laughs> sorry, that was a long answer, but I do pay attention to the narrative. Yeah, for sure. No, no. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, so Oliver, so, so what's the, what's the story to how and, and why you, uh, you participated in the, uh, the U.S. investing championship? What was the story behind that? Yeah. So I participated in it mainly because I was actually still working and I'd done well, I'd grown my accounts, but I'd never really like knocked it out of the park and I'm married. And so I just told my wife, I said, Hey, I'm going to join this thing. And I told her if I do X amount, uh, which was a pretty good number. I told her if I do 300%, I'm going to go, I'm going to go full time. And, uh, you know, I did better than that. <laughs> so, so yeah, so it was a good deal. But that's kind of why I did it was almost like I, I actually I didn't look when I do anything, I, I do it to win, like no doubt about it. That's my mentality. Mm -hmm. But I kind of entered, you know, not expecting to win. I don't think like kind of expect like more from myself than anything else. And then, you know, it got a lot of publicity and stuff I didn't expect for sure. Um, which, you know, that's been a positive and a negative, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but that's really why I did it. It was almost for myself more than anything else. Um, cause you know, I've been grinding and trading for like 10 years and I'd grown my accounts fairly well on a percentage basis. And I'd gotten to the point where, you know, like, look, am I really going to try to make some big, big, big money here? And if I'm going to do that, you know, I've really got to do this full time and get serious with it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so that's what I'm doing now. And my whole goal now is, you know, I've got some some goals financially and, you know, I've got a, a fund and kind of where I want to take that. And, you know, I'm kind of at the stage in my life, mid thirties, just had a kid. You know, I'm trying to I'm trying to step step on the gas pedal a little bit here. You know, it's just kind of that time. Um so yeah, that's kind of what I, why I did it. That's my mentality now. And, you know, I kind of look at last year as, you know, I had a good year, but I made a ton and ton of mistakes too. I could have done much better. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we can all say that about every year, but, you know, I'm looking to, to do better. That's really my, my, that's what I'm thinking. Like I'm looking to just get better every year, every month and keep the ball moving. Yeah, 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 absolutely. No, no, I, no, I love it, man. I, it, it's funny because you played football, so I'm thinking of all the football analogies. And I remember, like, man, like, it, you would blow out a team, but the coaches, it was like, no, there's no celebrating. Like, look, we, we could have done this better on this play, done better on that play. And, yeah, the, the, these concepts translate so well um, into trading. Um, and, and it's great that you have that mindset. I mean, you grinded for 10 years, then knock it out of the park. And, you know – especially talking to people recently, I, you know, I had breakfast with Walter Deemer. I mean, this guy's a 60 year market, uh, 60 year market analyst. And the guy's telling me, I'm having breakfast with him. He's telling me he has no idea what's going on in the markets. He's so humble. Right. And then me and JJ, we talked to some newer traders and they like, <laughs> they're, they're under, like, they just started trading and they're like, how come I'm not winning and blah, blah, blah. So you got to respect the game. I, like you have no respect for the game. It's true. And, and it really infuriates me a little bit because I look at someone <laughs> like yourself, man, like grind, 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 grind. And then like it wasn't just easy 940 percent. Like this was blood, sweat, yeah. years yeah. and years of work. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is everybody like looks at the end number and 
and they don't realize, like, I can't remember the exact stats, but uh, I think like you do 22% a month, you do a thousand in a year, you, you do uh, 13% a month, you do like 225 in a year or something or, or something like that. And that's really it is if you were to actually go break my year down month by month, it was like just working away and chipping away and chipping away and you know, through June or whatever, I, I think maybe we were up like a hundred percent, but that's after like six months. And then, you know, you have one or two big months. I think I had a pretty big drawdown in there too, actually. And then you put together, you know, two or three solid good months and like, like, there you go. But it's taking it month by month. It's keeping your account moving. You know, it's not, it's not like you take a trade and you're up 300% and like, voila like that's not how it works right. um at least it's not how it works for me i wish it did <laughs> uh, but yeah that's it it's it's taking trades like taking good setups compounding your gains like not taking huge losses because like you thought your position was going to work and it didn't and you don't want to admit that like i don't have any issue i will sell a stock like five times before it works and, you know, maybe three of those times are scratches, maybe two of them are like, you know, small little losses, maybe one to 3%. And then I can take like a 30, 40% rip out of it. And it's just like you played poker, you know, I'm sure, you know, sports betting or something like that. You know, if you can lose one or two, five times and make 40 one time, you know, you're, you're going to do all right. And that's, uh, that's what I'm trying to do and just do it all year long. And by the end of the year, if you compound your money throughout the year, you can really, really, you know, do some damage in a good way. Absolutely. I love it. Did, did you feel any added pressure? Like, were you keeping up with the standings like daily? Or are you able to block all that out? Well, so let's see, I would say around like month eight, eight or so is it was kind of like the top four guys it was like what was it it was me matt caruso tomas i kind of separated ourselves and we were all up like three or four hundred percent or something like that you know maybe there were a couple other people up like 150 or something and then and then you know i did start sort of thinking like uh everybody's kind of watching the three of us you know i've got to i've got to keep it up and I think I had a, I had a sort of a drawdown in September, October-ish. And I think part of the reason for that was is I was pressing a little bit, mm-hmm. thinking like, hey, my competition's up big this month. You know, I got I to gotta keep going. And the market just wasn't ready for that. So there's definitely a mental component to it. Um, and then I kind of was in the middle of that drawdown. And I just said, like, God, this is stupid. Like, we got some real money on the line here. And I sold everything and I just, I think I took the rest of the week off like a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And it was, it was crazy. I, I did my work over the weekend and, and that was like the beginning of just this massive November, December run I had um, where it was almost like I sold out everything, took some time off, got back to basics and started stringing trades together. And, you know, that, that's, that's, there was pressure. I think it got to me. I got back to basics nice. and then, you know, I went on a big run, which uh, I was a little bit caught off guard by kind of how much, 
hype at all got. That was something I I was didn't play into my plan at all when I signed up for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, no, that, 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 that's great, man. That was great. You were able to um, take some time off. Cause I, I would feel like I'm like, shit, no, nah, I can't, I can't, I can't take three days off. I got these guys, these guys you know, like, no, so hats off to you, man. No, cause yeah, that's exactly. why I asked that question. That's why I asked that question. I could understand probably like the, pre- the added pressure. Cause it's not like, Oh, I'm just trading at home by myself. Like, no, like this is, this is competitive. So man, hats off yeah. to you, man. Yeah, well, I should have taken I should have taken two weeks off starting two weeks <laughs> earlier. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, man, if I man, that November, uh, November and December of 2020 was uh, just great conditions, man. Uh, that was. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was, was super. Nice surfing. Yeah, I mean that November through January run was just like yeah. insane. I mean, yeah. especially even for me. I mean, January was just insane. So it was. Uh, it was fun. Yeah, man. Awesome. So tell us about your book, uh, Victory in Stock Trading. Yeah. So I, I'm on Twitter and I've basically been on Twitter for like seven or eight years, mostly just for myself. Like I had like three or 400 followers. Uh, I was a nobody and I would just kind of put my ideas out there, but more as a journal. And then when I won the competition, uh, you know, my, my followers ballooned and I do a lot of like weird little tricks and things that I've picked up over the years. And, you know, I'll say, Hey, I'm looking for a wick play here or whatever it is, whatever I'm doing or looking at. And so I just get nonstop questions. And, you know, when you have a lot of Twitter followers, you know, you'll get like a thousand more followers. And then those same people ask you all the same questions of the people before. So I, so I basically wrote this book and it's just like, you know, what I do from a trading perspective, it's my entire strategy. So my strategy is really based around how the market moves around the 10 and 20 period moving average. And I call it the price cycle. Um, so I kind of go through how all that works from a market kind of, you know, capitulating in euphoria on the upside then, you know, dropping down through the moving averages, kind of entering a corrective environment and kind of how that works. And then generally capitulating to the downside via people getting scared or, you know, the people who love this stock, they're never going to sell it, who then get scared (laughs) and sell it. Uh, And then, and then the volatility contraction and, and generally taking back those moving averages, that's usually when I get pretty aggressive and then just the cycle until, you know, you blow off again. Um, so I kind of walk through how I think about that, the different chart patterns I use, you know, how I like the types of stocks I trade, how I scan for volume, um, how I kind of put my whole account together um, as far as position sizing, how many names I generally hold. Um, and it's not all, you know, hard, fast rules or anything, but it's a lot of the stuff that I do. I would say probably 90 to 95 percent of it. And, you know, really the goal is just kind of answer some of those questions. And then I've got a lot of people who have kind of started, you know, picking up on my little names or whatever. So it's, it's good because it's a way I can kind of communicate with my followers and hopefully better help them. And, you know, we kind of understand what each other are talking about versus Mm-hmm. just not being on the same page <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure yeah uh, so our, our our third partner he was the one who actually reached out to you steve who got you got you on here with us yeah, okay he was so pumped jj he was so pumped because he he read he read your book that's how he was like okay let's oh, like yeah. guy on um because you know and i've learned a lot of my trading from him as well um he was so pumped he's like i use the 10 and the 20 moving averages in this like the same manner or you know similar ish manner so he yeah. was so pumped he's like we gotta get this guy on 
like you know and so i was like oh all right nice nice so he was yeah right. i mean it, like yeah it's it's not like i invented it or anything yeah uh, <laughs> i i kind of made it my own you know so but it's it's a lot of people are using it and it's a great way to stay on the right side of the market Right. And then me personally, like I don't have the personality to hold stocks through bases back to the 50 day moving average. So I find, you know, the top 10 stocks in the market, which are usually the ones I'm trading, they're going to trade above the 10 or 20 day when, when they're in money making mode. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then when they lose those moving averages, I just hop off and I'll, I'll get back on them when they set up again. Absolutely. Yeah, I, f- I find it a good, you know, because I, I, li- I like swing trading as well. Um, I'm not like super long term swing trading. And so like, yeah, the 10 to the 20 are good guides for that, like that intermediate like range. of you know, yeah. yeah. So what do you do? Do you like buy breakouts and sell them, you know, into like second or third day or kind of what's your what's your yeah. strategy? Uh, yeah, but but here, here's the thing. Alfred. I'm actually a better short sided trader. Most of most of my <laughs> trades are actually short. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's cool. There's a lot of crappy companies out there. That <laughs> I think, I think Oliver, no, honestly, like, and I, and I say this, like, no joking. Like, I think like, uh, JJ, like working with him and like him really exposing to me what goes on <laughs> on that side of the street. Like I can just like, it's so easy to see the, the fraud companies, the BS companies. <laughs> so I, I just can't unsee it now. I just can't unsee yeah, it's it. It's true. It's true. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's funny when you go through, you know, like every weekend I'll go through like the entire Russell or, you know, I'll go look through a couple thousand charts and, you know, you can be in a screaming, roaring uh, bull market or the market like we're in now, which I think is pretty good. Yeah. And you go through and there's just so many stocks and downtrends. Yep. So like, I don't know if you're looking to short downtrends or if you're looking to fade euphoria or, or whatever. It is. I, I do both. Yeah, I do both. I do both. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's certainly short opportunities out there. It, it kind of always cracks me up when I see people shorting like, you know, Tesla when it's like breaking out. When it's, <laughs> <laughs> when, yeah. when it's, I mean, I get it. Tesla can be a great short when it, when it's in a downtrend, it, it definitely can, but it's like, you know, there'll be some, some old dog that's been like falling apart for years and they, and they want to short the new high flyer. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because I look at Tesla when we were, when it was running 350, 500 at see, because people used to pay me to do short squeezes. Right. So I, you know, they pay me an obscene amount of money to trap people short, you know, because of the company's been polluted by a toxic financier or something like that. So I got to go clean up the float. So I'd be like, there's no supply. They're like, well, it's got to go lower. I'm like, everybody who owns the stock has it in a vault, like, you know, like Bailey Gifford yeah. out in Scotland or Ireland or wherever the hell they are. And, you know, they've got like the whole float locked up. Where are you? You're selling something you don't own in an area where nobody who actually owns it has any, you know, reason to sell it or desire yeah. to sell it. You know, it's the weirdest yeah, thing. Yeah. You're, you're, you're playing. Well, it's like all those guys, uh, you know what, like 160% of the float was short in GME. It's like, what do you think's going to happen? Yeah. 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 (laughs) So yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. It's funny. Like I'm not a, you know, these short sellers are supposed to be really smart, but sometimes when they get caught, you kind of look at the dynamics behind the GME situation or when they're shorting like Tesla at all time highs. And you're like, man, like, I, I don't know. That doesn't seem that smart to me. <laughs> well, I, th- I think that, well, I think that's the, the biggest thing. I think like first and foremost is like protecting yourself. Uh, like, if, you know, so if I'm gonna be primarily a short seller, like it's like protecting myself against that squeeze, right? I think that's first and foremost. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. So, yeah. So I like, yeah, I like to fade the euphoria, right? So like I'll, I'll catch the back end of the moves or I like the, um, like you said, like stocks and downtrend or the stocks that are really held well institutionally, but the narrative around the stock isn't good. And so uh, it's going to be that slow ease off of the stock that you can't unload the position all at once. Right. So it's going to, you know, a lot of times these things will happen a few days, you know what I mean? So and I'll just hold, I'll just catch it for a few days. Yeah. Um, what's like, like Intel or, or something like that. Yeah, 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 some of that nature, right, right. Because like, I mean, hey, I'll, I'll get into the, the like the low float streets sometimes, but not too crazy, <laughs> not not the you know, because it, it can get a little erratic at times. But you know, um, you know, whatever, you know, I do a little bit of back testing too, so like that's part of my process um, as well. But I, I am discretionary. Um, all right, let's see. So Oliver, uh, I got some miscellaneous rapid fire questions. <laughs> all, good. all right, so uh, all right, so what what hobbies do you have outside the markets? Uh, so, I mean, I was big into sports. Like, I played football in college, played basketball. Uh, I actually grew up sailing. So, like, I, I sail. Like, I grew up on the San Francisco Bay. So, it's, like, pretty, pretty hot thing to do there. Um, and then I just had a baby. So, I got an eight-week-old. Uh, don't have many, many hobbies outside of that right now. <laughs> and then uh, I, love, I love skiing. I love skiing. Uh, haven't been doing a whole lot of that lately. Mm-hmm. But um, and then, you know, my wife, we, we had a house on the shore, on the Jersey Shore. I live in Philly. So we go down there and just kind of kind of get away and hang out. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, you, you've got a kid. So, yeah, uh, you have a newborn life changes a little bit. So that's that's a lot of my hobbies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt, man. And congrats, man. Uh, it's a uh, man. It's a, it's a fun process watching them grow. You know, I'm a little bit further down the line. He's seven now. I got him, you know, signed up for football. So, you know, I'm pumped. There we go. That's All right. Fun. Awesome, man. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so do you participate in uh, any other forms of gambling? um i am just i have three brothers and we love to play cards so we you know i i'm not a big sports better or anything like that i know a lot of people like that you know i like to put a little money on on the big game but um (laughs) but i mean not really i i actually i ran like a book in college for people that sports bet of course i kind of understood that that's not a very uh prop it's a it's good to be the book um, so I never really got into sports betting other than, you know, really for fun. If, you know, the Super Bowl is on or something, sure. I do like to play cards, you know, I play poker a little bit, but really we play a lot of gin, like gin rummy. Yeah. And then, uh, we play a lot of hearts, you know, just cause it's like, I got my three brothers. There's four of us, you know, get together, shoot the shit and, Absolutely. you know, play a couple, couple rounds of hearts. Um, so yeah, I like cards. I definitely like cards. I don't, I'm probably not as much of a card shark as you are, but, but I like to play. <laughs> yeah, man. Oh man, family card games are awesome, man. Grew up playing, you know, cards with the family. Um, you guys still hear me? I don't know. My video went out. Yeah, your video gone. Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, I don't know what's up with the video. All right, I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna keep, I'm gonna keep going through though. I'll try and get this fixed. Um, uh, general thoughts around cryptocurrency and are you participating in that market? So I own <clears throat> I own some Bitcoin and I own some Ethereum. Um, I don't I don't really look at it. I I I truly am. I you know my opinion on Bitcoin is I get it. It all makes sense to me. You know we're printing money like crazy. I think it's insane. Um, 
And I just view it like it's an asymmetric bet. I, I, I got I got some Bitcoin a couple of years ago. And, you know, I, I don't look at it. I view it like 20 years from now. If the world blows up and Bitcoin goes to the moon, then I'll be all right. But if the world's okay, I, I feel like I should do all right, too. Um, so I'm just kind of holding it and we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I don't pay. It's not a huge it's not a huge portion of my wealth. Yeah, yeah. Any um, any thoughts on like like the whole NFT craze and stuff that's happened earlier this year? I don't I don't understand it. I mean, I saw a guy got a painting for like forty five million in in yeah. its digital or something like that. I I think it's crazy. I traded Playboy a little bit when oh, yeah. <laughs> when it had, had the NFT thing, yeah, and that was pretty fun and it moved. Um, but that to me actually looks like a short now. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You know, some of the numbers they're throwing out for what things are worth, you know, have added. I'm not, I'm not paying 45 million for a real painting. Better yet, a digital <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah, the Playboy was trading good. Um, you know, I, have, I haven't looked at it recently, but um, it was funny because I went to they, they had a um, I'm down here in Florida and they had um, Bitcoin conference in Miami. And uh, like Playboy, they had their own like little booth, <laughs> like the little NFT. <laughs> bit. Yeah, so, so I had to go over there and get a picture and be like, "Hey, I made some good money on the stock. Thank you guys." You know. Oh, yeah, I remember. I remember that tweet. Yeah, yeah, you saw me. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, they the whole like idea that they could really kind of monetize all their stuff or whatever was great for the stock. That secondary just killed it, though. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, look at all the trapped longs over forty bucks. It's like the whole world is trapped over 40. I mean, I'm looking at this and, and I'm not looking to short it, but it's it's got like a three or four day little bear flag. The 10 EMA is coming down on it. You know, wouldn't shock me if this thing rolled over here. Um, I don't know. We'll see. It, uh, it doesn't look good anymore <laughs> to me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I agree with that one. Uh-huh. All right, Oliver. Uh which trader, if you had to pick one, which trader would you say you admire the most? Um, I mean, probably like I, we're talking like the old legends or whatever, probably, probably like Livermore, um, you know, cause I feel like he's kind of self-taught. He's a little bit of a gunslinger, which I, I think I probably am. Um, I don't want to end up like him though. No kidding. Huh? <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, JJ. I know. I, I knew. Uh, JJ, how many times have you read that book? Man, I was just. It, it's on my desk. Yeah, I it's got on, it right here. <laughs> it's right here. It's on my desk. Right? I, I have a copy in the car for one. Like my mom's eighty four, so she goes to the dollar store. She's in there for like a like two hours. So I can sit in there. I sit keep the book in the car. There yeah, exactly. Go. Right. But it's funny because everything, when I started reading this book 30 years ago, I had no idea what the hell he was talking about, you know? And then you encounter a situation in your real life and then you find it in the book, you know, like when he was running pools for guys and they were backdooring stock on him, like all of those things, you know, were, it's just amazing the, the amount of knowledge in that book. Oh yeah, the, the longer you trade, kind of the more meaningful the book is. Um, and for people who don't know, we're, we're talking about reminiscences of a stock operator by Edwin Lefevre. But I actually, I, I really love his How to Trade in Stocks book mm. by Livermore as well. 
That's, um, that's probably maybe my favorite book. That, how to Trade in Stocks? Yeah, How to Trade in Stocks by Jesse Livermore. It's like his own book that he wrote. Um, but it's, you know, it's real good. It's not very popular, but it's really good. Yeah, I'm going to get that. It's much less popular, yeah, but... Yeah. I, it's, it's gold. You definitely pick it up if you haven't read it yet. If you like the old stuff, check out William Worthington Fowler. The stuff's written in 1874 and it's just amazingly well-written. It, it chronicles like how Vanderbilt did short squeezes, like <coughs> the intricacies of, of, of all the mechanics of it. And it hasn't changed. It's just amazing. Well, yeah, I still say the greatest trade in American history is uh, when Vanderbilt owned all the ships and he sold them and next week bought all the railroads. Exactly. <laughs> just mean, amazing. Incredible. Like the way how he cornered Harlem Railroad. It's just, you know, like that was my textbook when I was working corners, you know. It was just, you know, okay, what would he do now? Okay, drop the bid, show some size, get him scared, right? Induce a little bit of short covering, right? Trap him. <laughs> You know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's a different market then, for sure. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Oliver, what uh, what position of football did you play? I played quarterback, so I was I was slinging the rock cool. around. Yeah, oh yeah. Cool. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Do you have a uh, do you have a uh, favorite team uh, like college or pros? Yeah, so I mean, I love the Niners because I you know I grew up in the Bay Area, but then in high school I moved to Boston, and I I love Brady. So I was a Pats fan, <laughs> but uh, I, I hope you're a Bucks fan. Um, no, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. No, I'm not. Uh, you're not. <laughs> so, no, yeah, I mean, he's a Niners. Jets fan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's a Jets. Oh, you're yeah, a Jets I'm fan. Yeah, I'm, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the Niners are kind of like my, my you know, childhood team yeah. that I loved. Um, but then the Pats, I mean, just – playing quarterback and watching Brady in like eighth grade, ninth grade high school. And then I played, I played in college in the Northeast. I mean, he's the man, like, you know, I think everybody who's not being biased, you know, we got a lot of biased people out there, but, uh, but most people admit, you know, Tom Brady's pretty damn good. Um, so he's pretty fun to watch. Yeah, he is. He is, man. I love the, I love the fire too, that he plays with, man. That's yeah. uh, you know, and I'm a Jets fan, man, but uh, I can't talk shit, man. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> a legend, you know? Yeah. Um, but the one thing, the one thing I can't say about the Jets this year and we'll see, but they got the 49ers defensive coordinator um, as their head coach, um, Sala. And then, uh, oh, yeah, he's a good coach too. So, yeah. So we got the, we got, you know, and then some of the other coaching staff came over. So, you know, hopefully we're turning it around here. I like, I like the BYU guys you got, or the guy from BYU. Yeah. He's kind of like – he reminds me of Brett Favre a little. You know, he's like a playmaker. Yeah. Uh, but you guys got to draft some linemen. I feel like you guys just never really give these guys a shot. So, hopefully hopefully you guys can get some linemen. No, I think they're doing a better job. I mean, we, we got a guy we drafted last year. Um, they got, we got some receivers now, at least like a medley of receivers. So, we'll see. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, all right, Oliver, say you're, you, you got to have a last meal. What are you having? I'm a steak and potatoes guy, so I'm gonna have to go steaks and mashed potatoes. Nice. You know, maybe we'll throw some broccolini in there to keep my wife happy. <laughs> but yeah, something like that. Nice. Sure. Maybe a little, maybe a little surf and turf. Should we get a lobster tail in there? <laughs> nice. Nice. Oh, great! Now I'm hungry. 
I know, right? <laughs> all right, all right, Oliver. I'm going to ask you for a book recommendation that's non-trading. A book recommendation that's non-trading. So actually, there's there's a real cool book that. This is non-trading, but it is like money management. And it's this book called uh, Fortune's Formula. It's about the Kelly Criterion. And it's, it's a really fun read. I haven't read it in probably five or six years, but it's called Fortune's Formula by this guy, William Poundstone. And it's about this criterion called the Kelly Criterion, which is a betting system. And I don't know if you guys know who Ed Thorpe is, but Ed Thorpe was, uh, I love him. you know, he, yeah, you know, beat the dealer and all that. And he ran Princeton Newport Partners. But the book's about, you know, Ed Thorpe, Vegas and gambling, oh, the mob that. backing him. And then, you know, it's 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 got a lot of moving parts. It's a true story. But then it's also kind of about this mathematical formula at the same time. And it's, it's a really fun read. I, you know, I think if you guys are into trading, you'll oh, yeah. enjoy it. What's the name again? One more time, Albert. It's called uh, Fortune's Formula, so F-O-R-T-U-N-E-S Formula uh, by, William, by William Poundstone. It's kind of like a green cover, uh, um, but yeah, it's, it's a great book. I'd, I'd recommend it. Awesome. Well, yeah, no, if, if you guys were to ask me who, like, my, like, uh, favorite trader, Ed Thorpe, I, you know, because he, the gambling background, too, so I always uh gravitated to him i love his book i tried so hard to get him for this podcast too but i mean he's 90 91 i think well yeah it says 88 yeah 88 yeah. but yeah. no what a legend i mean to, to 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 be uh you know he was like he was like running like simulations on the mit computer um in the 60s man you know yeah. what i mean like he was back testing in the 60s with the punch card yeah <laughs> you know, like uh that's incredible man that's it is Wow. So did you just, I'm actually, I just finished his other book. Uh, the I mean, one that I mean, he wrote about yeah, his life. Yeah. Yeah. Such a good book. I mean, love it. Yeah. I thought some of the coolest stuff was, I mean, everything was cool. What an interesting life that guy's had, but just like, you know, testing rockets as like a nine-year-old and like storing napalm in the fridge and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I think about what I was doing at nine, Oliver. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like so ashamed. I'm like, this guy is such a genius, man. Like, like, who the hell am I, man? Like, like. Yeah. I was trying to figure out how to get the basketball hoop from seven and a half to eight feet. You know, yeah. this guy's this guy's <laughs> testing rockets. Exactly. <laughs> you know, incredible. Like, uh, you know, he was like six years old, JJ, and like, um, somebody like like he memorized all the kings and queens like uh, in England, like from the start to the end. Jesus. It's a, and he's six years old, a six-year-old kid. Guy's got a mind like a steel like, trap, yeah, right? Just like yeah, I'm like my son's seven. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> You're like, put that, put that iPad down, kid. I'm like, I gotta be <laughs> yeah. What are you doing here? <laughs> or, or just two. I mean, Oliver, like he made he made uh he beat roulette, like him and his buddy were able to yeah, beat yeah. Claude Shannon, yeah. Uh, that's that's in, that's insane. Like a, a computer, JJ, they had a computer that timed the spin of the wheel. And like they would press it like with their toes. Like one of them would have it like oh, have really. Yeah, the, one of them would have like a device in the shoe. The other had like a I think it was a hearing aid, Oliver, right? And like yeah, hearing aid, yeah. And they would time the spin, and they would have a device like in their shirt that was able to, you know, I guess like uh, they would know a bunch of numbers of where it would bet. That's amazing. You can bet like thirds on the board, right? And okay. like I think they would just cover a section. So just like in casino. 
Yeah, they could they could basically what roulette you're like a 90 bit disadvantage and they could turn the advantage to like three or four percent in their favor, which was huge. So like they could get it to where they could bet a group of numbers. And, you know, if they played all night, they'd have a huge edge, you know, just like what they did for blackjack. But actually, I think their edge in roulette was more dramatic, though. I think they did really well with it, if I recall. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. I think I think so too, man. Uh, and and just the, at the time period they were doing it at too. It, it wasn't like Vegas now. This was mob Vegas. Back then. <laughs> the, this he, was we're gonna beat you up behind the dumpsters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think he said it. Too. I didn't realize at the time. Like I don't think he knew what he was really like. You know who he was really going against. You know. So if you read Fortune's Formula, you'll learn that a little bit. He didn't really realize who his backers really, really were. And, you know, it's interesting. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. That's why I did. I loved when I, I had breakfast with Walter Diemer. He was um, he was telling me some of it because he, he was an analyst, Oliver, for the gaming stocks back in the 60s. And he was talking about how all the guys were, they, they were skimming money off the books, uh, off the shareholders. And he was like, and he's like, Frank, he was telling me Frank Sinatra was doing it, too. Was, oh, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> I was just like, oh man, it's just awesome. Like sitting here talking to history. I was like, oh man. Um, yeah, Walter's a legend, man. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. Legend. I think we're gonna get him. We're gonna get him on back soon. Um, Oliver, last question here. What's what's one thing that trading has taught you about life? Well, I would say one. I would say you know, trading is like a reflection of you, but. You know, the main thing I would say, you know, I think this is definitely applicable to life is, you know, uh, the old saying that the tough get going when the going gets tough. Um, you know, I think we've kind of talked about it, resiliency and, you know, being, you know, maintaining mental toughness. You know, that's that's really what sets the, the winners and the losers apart, um, because it's pretty easy to make money in a good market. Um but, you know, how do you handle the, the tough times? And the market's going to expose that. And uh, it's kind of going to be a reflection on you and probably how you are, you know, in, in your normal life and in reality. So that's that's what I would say. Beautiful. Excellent. I love it. And that's going to conclude today's episode of Confessions of a Market Maker. If you guys enjoyed the show, please rate and review it for us. If you'd like to be a part of a professional and supportive Group of traders join JJ and I at microefutures.com. Oliver, tell the people where they can find you. Tell them about the book, anything else you want them to know. Yeah, so I'm on Twitter. My handle is at onecharts6. So that's one C-H-A-R-T-S six. Um, I post a lot of setups or ideas I'm looking at. Um, I try to answer people's questions, but more and more lately, the, the, there's just too many. Um, but so I wrote a book. It's at keltrading.com, uh, K-E-L-L trading.com. And there's going to be a hard copy coming out, you know, over the next couple of weeks. It'll be available on Amazon. Um, but yeah, you can find me on, on Twitter and, uh, you know, happy to help anybody out if, if I can. Awesome. Good stuff. Go out there. Go get his book. JJ, parting words. Oh, thank you so much for uh spending some time with us. This was great. You know, it's, um, I love your old school attitude and, uh, how you, uh, you know, you push through. It's really, really good to see. I'm very, uh, it's really, really cool to see young guys doing it like this now. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's nice. It's really nice. Thank you so much for sharing your uh, insight with us. Really appreciate it. 
Thank you, JJ. I appreciate it. Yes, excellent, Oliver. It was it was a pleasure talking to you, man. Uh, you know, uh, phenomenal job in the uh, you know just crushing the field, man. Twenty twenty, man. I hope you end this this year really well, man. And I had a lot of fun. This was awesome, man. A good time. Yeah, I had a lot of fun too. You know, happy to come back anytime. Oh, for awesome. sure. Love to hear it. Love to hear it. Yeah, All right. So for Oliver Kell, I'm Paulie Walnuts. He's the gorilla of House Street. You stop so. <laughs>